Hey, welcome to episode 11 of the Telcom Corner Cafe podcast. I'm your host, Sean Sheedy, and this month we're going to talk about optical loss testing. An optical loss test set consists of two primary components most of the time. And I say it that way because we're going to talk about some different types of optical loss testing devices. So an optical loss test set consists of a stabilized optical light source that has specific wavelengths on it, meaning that it could be just multi-mode, 850 and 1300 nanometers. It could be just single mode, 1310 and 1550 nanometers. Could have all four. So it could be a dual wavelength unit, could be a quad. A lot of the single mode systems just have one wavelength. A lot of them for a long time had just 1310. And of course, you could always, in case you're testing FTTX, wave division multiplexing or some flavor of that, you could also get units with 1490 nanometers, 1625 nanometers. And there are also units that have variable wavelengths. For example, such as the spectrum of coarse wave division multiplexing that could be anything from 1250 to 1610. And it can test all of those wavelengths. And there's many different variations of that. In addition to that, the stabilized light sources will also have or have had normally for a multi-mode unit LED light sources, which of course stands for light emitting diodes. However, in the new laser optimized worlds and beyond for multi-mode, VIXELs are required for testing. Vertical cavity surface emitting lasers. In the case of single mode, lasers have always been the light source of choice due to stability, transmission distance, linearity qualities, spectral width of the light source itself due to the distance that it's traveling and the compliancy that it must meet in order to have those distances, not creating noise, not creating anything that would increase attenuation or signal transmission quality. So that's your stabilized light source. The other half to that is an optical power meter, which was actually developed first. But the optical power meter is the receiving device. The light source is the transmitting device. And I make a point to mention that because it's very important in the process of referencing what unit always has a cord and is never removed from it in order to provide you accurate testing results. But back to the power meter for a second. The power meter, unlike the light source, has multiple functions. The power meter in DB mode tests loss, reflectivity, or reflection, tests gain. In the DB DBM decibels per milliwatt, it tests optical power. So you can use it as the second part of the optical loss test set in addition with the stabilized light source, or you can use it as a standalone power meter to measure, say, the output of a transmitting device, such as a switch, hub, router. You buy a new Cisco product, according to the statistics and the sheet that it came with, it's supposed to put out negative 17 dBms. You plug that into the output of the transmitting port, switch it to dBm mode, and make sure that it's putting out that amount of power. Because an interesting thing that happens in the world when you're talking about optical power is it's amazing how many people will sit there and say, well, too little power is the real problem. Problem. But too much power is also the real problem. Too little power? Your customers in the farthest distance from the source go away. They drop off. You don't have enough power to reach them. They no longer exist on the network. However, too much optical energy or power blinds electronics, creates all kinds of heat-related issues, which drastically and very negatively affects performance of light sources, both in coherent light interference, in heat-related issues, in drift, because it will cause channels to drift, creating too large or wide of a spectral width or pattern, 
creating all kinds of interference. And everybody's like, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, think about pixelization on your TV or your computer screen, or think about white noise in either audio or just on your television. Isn't it annoying to watch all those little speckles and things like that? Well, when you have too much heat and too much optical power that's blinding your electronics, think about that same scenario. You walk outside, you look at the sun without sunglasses on, you're like, whoa, that hurt. It takes things time to resolve themselves. And sometimes, depending on the grade of the impact, they don't resolve themselves. And you have channel separation issues, you have frequency drift, you have a lot of, here's an old term out of the IT world, collision and detections, because you have recovery zones in very little spaces that there's not enough physical space for something to recover by the time it affects another channel. For example, when you're talking about wave division multiplexing, what type of wave division multiplexing are you talking about? WDM? DWDM. So we have wave division multiplexing, dense wave division multiplexing. You have CWDM, coarse wave division multiplexing. You have SWDM, short wave division multiplexing. You have DTWDM, dense time wave division multiplexing. And just to finish off the flavors, you have WWDM or wide wave division multiplexing, all with very specific widths between channels for channel separation that a lot of systems, by the way, today operate on or with the method or calculations of so it's not an uncommon practice like it used to be in the 70s through the 90s it's common everyday mainstream stuff now which also gets back to what we were talking about is why you'd want some of the power meters to have those wavelengths like 1625 1490 the variable one from 1250 to 1610 there's a lot of wavelengths being used it's not just two wavelengths in multi-mode and one in single mode or two wavelengths in multi-mode and two in single mode anymore it's a lot of different wavelengths being used. So the optical loss test set consists of a power meter and a light source. The next thing you have to do is reference it. This is one of the big questions. First of all, how do I do that? Well, most light sources require you to turn them on and let them warm up for 15 minutes to stabilize prior to doing any referencing with them. It's so the light source stabilizes. You don't want any drift or moving around with the light source temperature wise as you're testing or else you get inaccurate test results. That's the first thing. Second, of course, you want to make sure you want to test at the wavelengths your system requires. So if it's multi-mode, you're going to make sure your light source is 850 and 1300. You're going to test at both wavelengths. We'll get back to that. And that your power meter is receiving the correct wavelength that your light source is transmitting. Some will automatically do that on their own. Some will not. Some will pick up the fact if it's the same manufacturer, I'm just going to pick a random manufacturer, Exfo, Biavi, GN net test, pick your manufacturer. Some have auto recognition circuitry, meaning that if your light source is the same manufacturer as your power meter, you hook them up, it automatically goes, oh, light source is sending me 1310. I'll switch my set to 1310. Other ones don't. Or if you have, say, a different power meter and a different light source from a different manufacturer, manufacturers don't do each other favors. So they're not going to build and go, oh, well, hey, if you got an Enritsu light source and you bought my power meter, I'll make sure it works with that Enritsu light source. They're going to make sure you miss the convenience of that so that you will turn around and buy then their lights source as well. And it makes sense from a business perspective. It's not bad business or underhandedness or any goofy stuff like that. But now, as far as referencing them, how many reference cords do you need? What are you testing? 
What is the result that you want? Do you want it to include a second patch cord in the lost results of your test? Do you not? Do you want just the lost results of the plant or cable system that you installed with no inclusive jumpers at all? Are you testing a specialty connector or something that will require you to have a third jumper because there is a one, two, and three reference jumper method? Data centers prefer the one jumper reference method, meaning you have one jumper connected between the optical power meter and the optical light source. You reference that out. Now, you only have one reference jumper in this case, right? So when you're done referencing the equipment, do you unplug it from the power meter? Or do you unplug it from the light source? And the answer to that question is you always unplug it from the power meter, never from the light source, because the reference occurred when the light source sent light through the connector plugged into its input, through that cord, through the connector plugged into the power meter. The power meter is like a pair of sunglasses. It's a giant detector. It just sees everything coming at it. So whatever's being sent, it's going to evaluate, if you will. The reference, though, went through that connector plugged into that light source. So if you unplug from the light source, you destabilize the reference. You have no reference to test against. All your test results are inaccurate. So always unplug from the power meter, not the light source, no matter how many cords you're dealing with. The reason data centers want one reference cord used is because they want you to then take a known good, so let's call that a brand new one, out of the package that's been tested by the manufacturer, has its dust caps on, that you've taken off, you've now cleaned before you've plugged in one end into the test equipment and are now taking the other end of that, plugging that into one end of the cable that you're testing, taking the cable that was never taken out of the light source, plugging that into the other end of the cable and now conducting your test. The reason data centers want that is they want that additional loss of that second patch cord reflected in their test results because their test margins are so razor thin. They have very little movement available to them as far as what their losses can be. Their loss numbers are very, very specific and have to be accounted for very, very methodically. That's why they want that extra reference jumper in there. And the other reason for that is you have two connectors on that second reference jumper, if you think about it. One's plugged into the power meter, the other you're plugging into a patch panel. Then there's the connector on the back side of the patch panel at one end and on the other side. So if you think about that, you now have a connector on both ends of the cable that you're testing and the second jumper has two connectors on it. That's two connections, four connectors. They're not part of the loss test results. So it equals the same scenario. And I know this is going to be confusing and I've tried to explain this a number of different ways. It's something you really have to visualize. So now that you have have the two connectors on the end of each cable that you're testing, the two connectors that were not accounted for in the original reference of the second reference cord that you've added to it, it gives you four connectors or two mated pairs. That is the exact amount of things that they're going to have in their daily operation. So they want the test to replicate how things are going to be hooked up on a daily basis. That way they can best account for the loss of every component, passive or active, in their system. Undoubtedly, I know that was confusing. I tried to word it in a way that it made sense. There's great diagrams by the various standards organizations like TIA, ISO, ANSI that show all these different methods. The next one is the most common one. It's called the two reference cord jumper. This one's going to sound to most people a lot more simple. You have a reference cord plugged into the light source. You have a reference cord plugged into the power meter. You have an adapter between the two of those that connect the other ends. You zero them out or calibrate them just like you did with the one reference cord. And I should qualify that for a moment. 
when you're referencing a cable, depending on the manufacturer, you will zero it, you will calibrate it. Some manufacturers have a button that says zero. Some have a CLA calibration button. That is the button you want to push and hold for three seconds and make sure the screen clears. It stores the memory and then goes to zero dBs on your screen. You're ready to test. My apologies for not including that earlier. So once you plug these cables into the units, press the cal or the zero key, clear the screen, store the existing memory, and you are now set at zero to only show the loss of the system that you're testing. Now, with the two cord reference method test, after you set up those units, zero them out, you simply disconnect at the bulkhead, take one unit, plug that into one end of the cable you want to test, take the other unit with its cable, plug that into the other end of the cable that you want to test. Both launch cords or reference cords have been eliminated in the reference configuration, in the zeroing process, if you will. So none of those components or connectors from those reference cables are going to be included or be part of your loss numbers. It will only reveal the loss of the cable under test. That is the most common way that testing happens in the fiber optic industry. But the data center world wanted only one. Now, the other method that's out there is what we call the two-cord modified, or what some people just simply call the three-reference cord test. The reason for this are all your newer connectors, MTRJs, Volition, Panduit's connector, OptiJack, if I remember, was the name of that connector. You had a bunch of connectors that came out that were dual connectors. Well, most optical loss test sets don't have dual inputs on them. They have simplex inputs on them. So what you have to do with these cables is you're going to need a third reference cord as part of the configuration for the calibration or zeroing. So let me see if I can explain three reference cord testing in a simplistic short explanation because this one can get really really confusing. So just like the two reference cord tests that we talked about, you're going to plug a reference cord into the power meter, you're going to plug a reference cord into the light source. Then you're going to plug a second reference cord onto the end of the reference cable coming out of the power meter. You're going to connect that to the reference cable coming out of the light source. Just like you've done in the other two, you're going to zero calibrate or reference all of those cords out. Then you're going to disconnect that second jumper that you hooked up to the power meter, not the one plugged in the power meter, but the one plugged into the first cable plugged into the power meter. So you're going to get rid of that third jumper. And the reason you had to go through all this, because everybody's probably sitting there going, why would I do this? Well, you need to have the right configuration in the end to plug into the patch panels. So the third jumper was needed to do the reference. All of those cables are going to be referenced out anyways. And when you remove that third cable from the configuration or the setup, then you're going to be left with the ends of the two jumpers coming out of each piece of the test equipment so you can properly plug in into the patch panels inputs and test your cable under test. There used to just be the two cord method. Things have changed and some people would say that's a good thing. Some people would say that's a bad thing, but whenever changes like that occur, testing configurations, methods, and needs unfortunately get more complex. Doesn't make everybody happy all the time, but it's a reality of the network evolution. So it needs to keep current with the test results so that the loss budget analysis can be kept track of so suddenly customers don't go down and we have upset customers. So we don't have excessive downtime in our systems that service providers are losing revenue because of. Everybody's attention really comes to the top when revenue starts declining because that's obviously the game that everybody's in is to make money. 
So that one, two, three reference chord process applies to multi-mode or single mode. Now, that being said, just like we talked about in some of the original episodes, OTDRs are more popular in single mode than they are in multi-mode because you have more distance and they are a distance measuring device primarily that wants to show you a visual picture of everything within a built or existing system or infrastructure. Lost test sets are more common in multi-mode, but that being said, data centers have suddenly switched. It used to be probably a 70-30 multi-mode world in data centers. Now it's pretty much a 60-40 single mode and moving rapidly towards like 70-30 single mode. So more campus type environments that are now concerned about loss budget analysis and what my total loss is, what's my link loss and all those various things are now advocating and requiring optical loss test sets as well. So optical loss test sets are starting to be used in the single mode world because more and more people are deploying single mode, needing its bandwidth capability, its distance performance transmission, and its light sources that can meet the needs of their next generation networks. So a lot of people used to blow off light sources for the single mode world. Can't really do that anymore. There's more and more people saying, yes, we want an OTDR trace. Yes, we also want a link loss or optical loss budget analysis done so that we have all of our bases covered so that our systems work effectively. The other thing that I'll touch on just briefly is the inputs of these devices. And this can be inclusive of OTDRs as well, though we're not talking about that device specifically here, but those just like optical light sources, optical power meters, visual fault finders, there's lots of different devices. There are now specific connector type inputs that you can buy, ST, SC, FC, all kinds of different options. There are also universal tips. The universal tips became really popular because theoretically you can plug in any kind of connector with the exception of an APC, unless it's an APC interface of the device. Always be careful of that. And that should be identified just like we talked about with OTDRs with that green ring around the base of the input. Optical loss test equipment does that exact same thing with power meters and light sources. But the advantage of universal tips are you can plug an ST, an FC, or an LC in the tips because there's both 2.5 and 1.25 millimeter universal tips. Here's the one thing I'll say about that. The highlight is convenient, very handy, probably you could even say much less expensive. The disadvantage is that it's not a specific connector type, so it won't lock in and click in like an SC will. You can't thread it down like you can an FC. You can't turn the outer ring over the bayonet pins like you can an ST. It just sits there. So as convenient as that is, meaning that an ST, SC, or FC will fit in there, there's a little bit of movement. So if you're testing something that's really, really critical and not more of a general application, and I'm not belittling the importance of any particular types of companies or markets or anything else, but there are people such as like your NASA's, your government agencies, uh, Northrop Grumman, companies like that, that really need specific, minute, right down to the last decimal place number you don't want any variations in there. Some places that are just general consumer-based corporations or networks or things like that don't have to be that critical. They Their budgets have been built in or their budgets allow them to have a larger variation or movement because of things that they've done. There's other places that need exact numbers for their loss budget analysis. And loss budget analysis is not for everybody. If you don't like math and you don't like numbers, that's probably an area you 
you probably don't want to get into any more than you have to. Mostly done on the design side of things. However, will be done again at the completion of the things to ensure that the numbers that were factored in have been met and the system is performing correctly. With that, that's episode 11 of the Telecom Corner Cafe podcast. I'm your host, Sean Sheedy. I thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll be back with our last episode in December, episode 12, where we'll talk about other types of test equipment, such as traffic identifiers, visual fault locators, and we'll wrap things up. Thanks again for tuning in.